0: How many of you love when asking someone for something that their immediate answer is a resounding yes? No hesitation, no reserve, no opposition. Those three letters are candy to our ears. We love yeses. Yes, you can have whatever you want. Yes, you can eat that piece of cake. Yes, you can come over. And yes, you can have the day off. And one of my personal favorites, yes, you can go shopping. Honestly, none of us really ever like to be told no. We are a yes society. And if we want it and we have to ask for it, we really expect the answer to be yes on any given day. Think of all the times you said yes in life to something and it's turned out for your good. Maybe you've said yes to the man of your dreams. Or you said yes, please, to a great job opportunity. Or even to go on a mission trip. And all have turned out to be a wonderful experience. All of these affirmative responses can turn our lives into something that gives us great fulfillment and happiness. But on the other hand, we've all said no to things as well. And we have regretted missing out on the opportunity of a great adventure. Or we said no due to fear of the unknown. And later we learned there was nothing to fear at all, but fear itself. There are many everyday people like you and I in God's Word that have used this three-letter word to change their life forever as well. Did you know that God was in the business of saying yes more times than you might think? Because often, we only focus on the times that God has said no to our request, and then we get bitter and never ask again. Maybe you two were disappointed in Him, so you decided, I'm not going to say yes to you either. I know that sounds a bit childish, but I think it's a really good point that lies deep in the recesses of our hearts. And if we're honest, we sometimes hold a grudge against God when he doesn't always say yes to all of our wants and desires. God may not always answer your prayers in which you would like him to, but I do believe he answers us in one of three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Those last two responses are the hardest to hear. But if we can get beyond ourselves and remember that God always has our best interest at heart, we can fare very well. Today, I want to take a look at a few people in the Bible who said yes to God and how great things turned out for them. And let me add this. These yeses were not always easy. Let's think about Abraham for a moment. He said yes to God when God asked him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. I don't think there could have been anything more difficult to this. Yes, but he was obedient and he said, yes, Lord. And he passed the faith test. Moses said yes to the Lord when he was asked to lead a very wayward group of people after 400 years of slavery. And then after Moses died, Joshua said yes to the calling of picking up and taking over where Moses left off. Noah said yes to building an ark for over 120 years while everyone called him a lunatic. But because he said yes, he saved enough people and animals to allow God to start over with all of humanity, and the world began again after being destroyed by the flood. We also see where some not-so-godly people even said yes to God, and he still did great things with them. Let's take a look at Rahab, the prostitute who said yes to God while she was hiding God's men. Later, her entire family was spared. The woman at the well who came only at noon so she would not run into the rest of the ladies because of her colored reputation. She said yes to Jesus with his invitation to drink from the living well. And we know her life was changed forever as well. All of us know about the young teenage girl who was living her quiet, innocent life when God came to her and told her that she would be the mother of the Savior of the world And she, too, said yes. We can find one of the most famous and widely controversial characters of the Bible saying yes to God on a dirt road on his way to Damascus, where he had just been killing Christians. God met him right in the midst of his evil and transformed his life, which in turn was revolutionized the entire Christian world. His name was Paul. And last but not least, by any means, was Jesus himself. He said, yes, Father, in the greatest capacity of all, and that was to go to the cross and die for your sins and mine and ultimately save us from a life of hell. I often wonder how hard that yes really was. Sure, we know the story and we all know the sacrifice, but how hard would it be if that were you and I? Would we really say yes if God asked us to die for someone else, let alone the whole world? And not only die, but carry the weight of the world's sins on our shoulders? When people have said yes to the Lord, they, not have only, they have not only changed the trajectory of their own lives, but they have changed the direction of ours. Today, I don't want you to hear the old stories of the Bible and think, oh, yes, I know what they did and that was good for them. No, today I want you to think about where and what could God be asking of you and where or what does he desire for you to say, yes, Lord, in your own life? Is there an area of your life that keeps re-emerging where God is asking something of you? Is there something that you have left undone or need to go finish? Is there something that you need to start, perhaps? Is there an area of your life that God wants to work on with you? but Every time he nudges you, you know what that's all about, and you choose to close the door or close the conversation to it. What if God is calling you into something greater than yourself? For some of us, that's really exciting. For others, it's absolutely terrifying. We would rather God leave us all alone and not ask us to do anything extra and to take us out of our comfort zone. And we would rather just be left in safekeeping. I can tell you that God certainly doesn't want to terrify you, but he does want you to do great and mighty things in your life if you will allow him to. How many of you have this nulling kind of feeling that God has something more for you, but you are simply too scared to take the first step? Maybe it's in ministry. Maybe it's to quit your job and come home and raise your babies. Maybe he is asking you to do something that is way beyond yourself, and you know that it will take 110% of you trusting God to see you through it, to even take the first step. Well, travel with me today through Luke 9 about a very important story about saying yes to the Lord. We can find it in Matthew 9, verses 27 through 30. And here Jesus was performing miracle after miracle, and the Pharisees were with him every step of the way. Remember, they were the religious leaders who were always trying to trip Jesus up and find him doing something wrong so they could show all of those who were following him that Jesus was not the Messiah, and the people would turn back to their religious teachings that were more about keeping the laws and works of the flesh. Now, as we pick up, Jesus has just healed the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, and now he has moved on and is entering the ruler's house where his daughter has died. And Jesus sends everyone outside and he says that she's only sleeping. He goes into her room and touches her hand, puts her on her feet, and says she is now fully alive. This will bring us to the passage I want to camp on for just a few minutes here today, because this next miracle falls in succession of all the other miracles that Jesus has just performed. But the past few have been on Jesus's doing in his alone. But this next story is very interesting and important to our lesson today, because Jesus has asked a very important question, and I think is one that we should consider as well. So as Jesus leaves the house of the now raised from the dead little girl, he runs into two blind men they begin to follow him, which I think is very peculiar in and of itself, because if you were blind, you would not know, one, who to follow, and two, where you were going. But it says in Matthew 9, verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Some versions say that they followed him into the house where Jesus was staying. I thought that had to be interesting, too, because it takes Some boldness to follow someone right into their own house. But nevertheless, they went on crying out to Jesus. This tells me they knew of a man who had healing powers and they were desperate enough to take a chance with this man who they've never seen before, but had only heard about. There had to be a buzz about Jesus performing these miracles because regardless, these men knew this may be their only chance to have their eyesight given to them. Were these men born blind or something happened to them along the way of life's journeys? Were they injured or simply born with this handicap? Either way, Jesus is about to change their lives forever. I love what the Amplified Bible says, picking up in verse 27 of chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him screaming loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered into the house, the blind men came up to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe, and the Amplified Version says, with deep abiding trust that I'm able to do this? They said to him, and here it is, yes, Lord, with an exclamation point. Verse 29, it says, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, your trust and confidence in my power and my ability to heal, it will be done to you. And their eyes were opened. Wow, isn't that powerful? I love this passage. We see in many of Jesus' miracles the healing was done on simply his touch, his word, or just his power in saying it would be done. But this miracle took the part of not only one, but two blind men. It was a two-for-one kind of miracle. It took the faith of both men to believe that God would do this for both of them. That in and of itself is a miracle. How many times can you get two people to wholeheartedly and be in agreement on anything that God wants for your life? What if one man would have objected and the other said, I believe, would one have been healed and the other one left to be blind? What a sad day that would have been for the non-believer. Well, the same is true in our lives today. It says in Revelations that when Christ returns to bring his church home, there will be two in a field working and in a twinkling of an eye, one will be gone and one will be left behind solely because one believed and said, yes, Lord. And one did not. Let's look at our own lives today. And if Jesus were to ask you the simple question, do you believe I can do this for you? What would your response be? And I know all of us would say, well, if I were blind, it would be a no brainer. Of course, I would say, yes, Lord, I believe you could heal me. But what about do you believe I will heal this broken marriage? Or yes, Lord, I believe you can heal my broken heart. That has simply become a way of life for me. Or would you say, yes, Lord, I believe you will show me what to do with my life after I've made a mess of it. Yes, Lord, I believe you would heal my child from their addiction and I will restore them to good health. What is it in your life today that God may be asking of you? Could he be leaving one miracle and headed toward yours and saying to you, do you believe I'm really able to do this? Many of us are quick to say yes, but do we really, really believe it? Remember what the Amplified Bible said with deep and abiding trust. That means no wavering. That means trusting that God is who he says he is and what he's going to do. What does this look like, though, when the miracle isn't instant? Well, Let's take a look at the story of Lazarus, where Mary and Martha know that Jesus is more than capable of healing, but he's delayed and they allow their anger and frustration to seep in. John eleven three three says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus knows that Lazarus is sick and he knows that he's going to die. But now you have to understand something. Jesus and his disciples are only two miles away from the village of Bethany where Mary and Martha have sent word from. Two miles is not that far away at all. As a matter of fact, you can walk two miles on a leisurely stroll in about 30 minutes. So Jesus is not far from getting to Lazarus and healing him before he dies. But unfortunately, Lazarus does die before Jesus gets to him. But there's a very peculiar verse here that I still try to wrap my head around at times. But the more I study it and I'm learning how God works, he usually does things that don't make sense to the human mind at all. Because his ways are not our ways. It says in verse 5, it says, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I don't know about you guys, but if one of my loved ones were sick and I could help save them, I would do everything in my power to do it. But that's where we get it all wrong. We are not God and he sees things further down the road than we do. He knew that if he went, he could heal Lazarus. But which is the greater miracle? Jesus healing a sick person or Jesus bringing someone back from the dead? Both are pretty amazing, but bringing someone back from the dead tops it off. And Jesus knew that. Were the girls upset that he didn't hurry over to heal their brother? Sure they were. But Jesus had something far greater to prove. Not only did he not come right away, but he allowed him to be put in the tomb and his body to begin to decompose. You have to remember that region of the world in which they lived was very hot, so anything dead would start to smell pretty quickly. And Martha knew it as well, because in verse 39, where Jesus commands for the stone to be removed from where Lazarus had laid, she protests with, by this time there has got to be a bad odor. Leave it to Martha to be worried about the things that were going to smell and not about Jesus doing what Jesus came to do. I'm sure if Febreze was invented, she would have been spraying the area after the stone was rolled away. But let's jump back to verse 14 and see why Jesus delays in his coming to help his dear friends in the time of need. It says, Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is not dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. This is for his disciples. The Message Bible says you're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now, let's go to him. Let's stop here for just a minute, you and I. Here's where we come back into the equation. Could it be that God has not yet delivered your miracle because he wants you to believe? Could it be that if God were to answer our everyday prayer and cry for help at the instant in which we lift our petition up to heaven, we would not see the miracle for the lack of our unbelief? We don't have to believe in something if we can always see it. Faith is believing in something we cannot see, and we cannot please God without faith. I know my faith grows by leaps and bounds when I've had to wait a very, very long time to see God do a miracle. And when it finally comes, we celebrate just like I am sure Mary and Martha and yes, even Lazarus did. Can you imagine being the recipient of the miracle? I'm sure Mary and Martha wanted Lazarus back to life more than anyone. But if he was able to want in his time of sickness and death, I bet Lazarus wanted it even more than everybody there. Some of you have come back from some near-death experiences. Some of you have come back from your own deathbed. Some of you thought your disease had turned your life of decades into now mere days. And God miraculously has healed you and you have been part of his great miracle. Wow, what a faith story you have to tell. What about those of us who are still waiting for our own miracle? How do we respond when we know and have seen Jesus heal others in our lives like Mary and Martha had seen? Yet Jesus seems to take his time coming over to our house to make our miracle happen for us. It's hard not to become bitter or cynical. We see that Mary and Martha both had a little bit of attitude with Jesus all along the way. Maybe not an attitude of hatefulness, but just one of frustration and disappointment. I think one of the hardest things in life to swallow is to watch someone with the capability and yet they don't exercise that or are not willing to do something that would change some great thing for anybody in their lives for the better. Maybe you're married to someone who has amazing potential yet wastes it every day by being planted in front of the TV or the computer. All the while, they could be helping you around the house. They sit and do nothing. That makes the heart susceptible for bitterness and resentment. Maybe you're a young person or one of your parents are abusive or an alcoholic and you wonder why the other parent doesn't do something. Why don't they step in and help you out and help change the situation, protect you, or take you out of harm's way? Maybe you have an adult sibling that leads their own life while you are left to care for your aging parents and they are nowhere to be found at all. And While you seem to struggle financially, physically, and even emotionally to cope with the growing burden of your dad and mom or both, your sibling could care less. These are some of the greatest questions we can ask and talk with God about and wonder, when will he answer my prayer? Why doesn't he say yes to me? I think Mary and Martha felt the same way. But let's look closely at the best part of this story. Although Lazarus being raised from the dead is really cool, I think Jesus' conversation with Martha far outweighs it all. It says in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you would have been there, Lazarus would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this with a question mark? And Martha says, here it is. Yes, Lord. You see, our believing and our response to God go hand in hand. You cannot believe and not and also not say yes, Lord. Have you professed to believe in Jesus, but haven't said yes to his calling on your life? Have you failed to believe, but said, yes, Lord, I'll do this calling. I feel you have called me to. One cannot work without the other. Think of a lamp for just a moment and an outlet. They are two separate components, but one doesn't work without the other. A lamp is only a fixture in a house that might look nice, but it's the main source is to provide light. Likewise, an outlet is a fixture on the wall that holds a lot of power. But unless something is plugged into it, that power is never revealed. When you put the two together, they both are working and doing what they were created for. One gives off light, while the other provides the power to produce the light. Jesus is our power source, and we are the light for the world to see. But if we are never plugged into him, we only become a fixture and really have no use at all except to take up space. But we tap into his source of power, Watch out, because God can use us to light up the world. Our believing and our saying yes are the exact same thing. They go together to make use of all of our lives. God says, you say yes to me and believe that I will do it, and you will see me do some wonder-working power in your life. You say, well, I sure hope he will, but not sure if it will ever happen. And then you will most likely sit in the dark like the lamp does when the sun goes down. Martha knew in her heart that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead also. But it was not until he said, do you believe this, Martha, does the miracle happen. The same is true with the two blind men and the countless others in the Bible. When we say yes to God, you have just unleashed the floodgates to his mighty power on your life. Here's the scary part. It's up to you to say yes. Not your spouse, your friends, your kids, or even your pastor. It's all up to you. So today as we close, I want to leave you with a few questions that I would love for you to answer sometime through the next week before we meet again. What do you need to say yes to? What area of your life has God said, do you believe this or do you believe I'll do this? What is God calling you to that he is still waiting an answer for? Remember the blind men? They went screaming with great confidence and trust. God, have mercy on us. Do you need to cry out? God, have mercy on me with great confidence and trust. Where have you stopped believing to do the miracle in your life? You know it's going to take nothing short of a miracle to fix the problem that's staring you in the face. You've tried everything backward and forward, sideways and even upside down. You've exhausted all your avenues of your own miracle working wonders. But Now it's time for Jesus to come. Are you ready? Because who knows, he may just be a few minutes away like he was in Bethany. He was only two miles away from his dying friend, but he waited for the best time. We know he deeply loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see where Jesus wept over his passing and had great compassion on all of them. So this wasn't a flippant Jesus who marched in and says, hey, I got this. Lazarus is fine. He was just sleeping. No, it says that Jesus was moved with great compassion for his friend. It tells me his heart hurt for all of them his heart hurt for his own loss of his friend. But it also tells me something even greater, that Jesus cares for you and me as well. He weeps with us in our darkest hour. When we cry out, where are you, Jesus? You could have stopped this. Where are you? He does have great compassion for us. We are his loved ones. We know he knows what it feels like to have this great and horrible loss. Because after verse 35 in John 11, it says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Or another version says, look how deeply he loved him. Friends, Jesus loves you deeply. He cares that you're hurting. He cares that you are sad and mourning. But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is either there with you now or on his way to come and be with you during this time of struggle. We have to be willing to open the front door to let him in. We have to open the doors to our hearts so that he can come and heal us. Some of us, I know, have closed the door because of the pain was so great because of his no. You have waited just like Mary and Martha, and now it's too late. You feel like all hope is gone. It will take a miracle to change this situation. God may not bring your loved one back to life, but I do believe he will change yours for the better if you'll let him, despite what all that has happened. God is in the business of taking our tragedies and making them our triumphs. I want to end our time together today, whether you have ever said yes to the Lord for your own personal issues in life or not. There's one question that God will ask each and every one of us at one point in time before we die. And that is, do you believe in my son, Jesus? If you're uncertain of your answer, friend, I would ask you to email me here at the station because there's no greater question that will ever be presented to you in your lifetime. If you have already said yes to Jesus and you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, praise God. We will spend eternity together with him. But for anyone uncertain, don't go another day leaving that question undone. Your life literally hangs in the balance on your response. God is waiting to hear two very precious, simple words from you. Yes, Lord. And finally, do you know what Jesus told his disciples when he left them here on this earth? that they would be able to do far more than he could. I wrestled with that thought of ever doing way more than Jesus did while he walked here, but those are his words, not mine or anyone else's. So it led me to a really thought-provoking question. What could I do in my lifetime if I said, yes, Lord, to whatever he asked? What could you do in his name if you said, yes, Lord? God is looking for those who will answer his calling, could you, too, be part of a creating a miracle for someone else? Could you yourself be a walking and living miracle? The possibilities are limitless if we would say, yes, Lord. Will you be like the two blind men that after they said with great confidence and trust, yes, Lord? I sure hope so.